Beers with Talos. This is Beers with Talos. Thrust, Beers, and Mouths of Bliss. Welcome or welcome back to another episode of Beers with Talos. Uh, we have a lot of ground to cover today. We have a lot going on in the FCC. A uh, new character named Rock Rat in South Korea in Apple Home. Uh, we have to figure out if software itself can be legal or illegal. I'm joined, as always, by Craig Williams, Nigel Houghton, and Joel Essler. Uh, we, we usually start each episode of the show by kind of going around the table and seeing what's on everybody's mind by the order everybody's in the queue. And, and first up today, that looks like it's going to be uh, you, Krog. What's on your mind? There's nothing pressing on his mind ever. You know, actually, there is, and it's not even on your agenda. I'm just going to complain about it anyway. No, that's better. That's better. This could be bad. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with politics. <laughs> and go right into religion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reaching for the popcorn right now. <laughs> so, no, this really bothers me. Um, there seems to be a growing trend in our industry where teams that are directly competitive to mine have decided that instead of listing facts and IOCs and their write-ups— you know, and he's like clearly catering to the reporters, giant pictures of like a flaming building with like a Russian tank driving over like a, a person, you know, <laughs> APT 105 is going to melt your child's brain, you know, and it, there's no IOCs. There's no good description. It'll have a vague sentence in there about, oh, we believe it came in via spearfish. And then like 12 more pictures of burning buildings and children crying in the streets as their clothes melt off and blood fills their mouth or something. I, I don't think that's a new problem. I've seen that. It's getting worse, though. I mean, the thing that bothers me the most is twofold. Number one, that people let them get away with it. And number two, that reporters buy into it. Whatever happened to verifying facts and how do you verify the facts without any proof or any IOCs? uh, It just blows me away that this is acceptable. I know. And every single write-up we do, we publish all of that. And you know why? We care more about protecting our customers than press coverage. And I think it's about damn time other people did. Absolutely. We've always thought that way. You've got a couple of problems, right? Yes, people want press because it sells. Um, the press aren't experts in this particular field at all, but not by a, any shot of the imagination. And, and still for them, it's a very, very new thing to be reporting on. Um, so they don't necessarily know or have the tools to go and verify a story. Um, <clears throat> there's, there's one or two notable exceptions to that, of course. And then, you know, wh- where does it all end? Because let's, let's give a quick, hey, Mr. Krebs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course, Mr. Krebs is very good at this, you know. But, he's, but he has actually set out to be good at it, right? He has specialized in that, right? He left the Washington Post, went out on his own, and, and, and decided that this was going to be his main focus. And now, you know, he's probably like the best person in the press at this, right? It's, it's kind of like, where is it going to end? What... There's going to be something where people are going to say, "All right, enough's enough, right? This is we're gonna we can't let this continue. Enough of this hogwash and your wild, inaccurate claims and your alternative facts." I mean, because at, at the end of the day, at some point, it's going to get really serious, and some fool's going to get elected president or something based on lies and conjecture. Uh, right? Wait, hold on, hold on. I think wait, 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 hold on, hold on. We're talking about that later. Oh. Don't. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> No, but I think we're already seeing that to some extent in the security industry. I mean, I have seen quite a bit of backlash on some of these write-ups where they focus more on, like, the name of the attack or the logo of the attack rather than the actual facts, right? I think we've all seen that. 
what we haven't seen is that being pushed into mainstream reporting. And, you know, I don't know if it's ever going to get there because the knowledge needed to, you know, be able to tell what's important and what's not is so specialized. Well, if you think about how reporters operate and what they're actually doing and telling a story, I mean, of the questions a reporter is supposed to answer, the first one is who. So naturally, they always want to put something on someone. You know, there's got to be a there's got to be an adversary or an enemy that people can kind of, you know, experience a little bit there to make the story. But the fact is, you even if you know that something is most likely the motivation is there, the ability is there, it was probably Group X. It's just too easy to fake that. And I don't understand why that has to be always be the headline is the who instead of the what and the why. I don't think that it's faked necessarily. I think what happens is people overhype what they have. And by keeping all the details tied to the chest, it's much easier to sell that story of the world's on fire. And if you don't buy my magic bullet, you're on fire, too. Yeah, let me be clear. I don't think the, the security groups are faking it. I'm thinking that, you know, it's too easy for an actor, for for an attacker to cloak themselves as something else or coming from someplace else. You know, it, it's a dangerous game to play to try and pin the tail on the donkey. Yes. I a hundred percent agree with everybody in this, in this room. You guys know that, but I'm going to play devil's advocate for just a second. It's a little hard, uh, for general reporters, like Nigel was saying, the people that are inexperienced and in actually writing about these kind of things, it's a little hard for, to hype. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause when we're talking about pure technical information, they can't just write about, Hey, you guys need to patch your browser. You know, that's a little boring. So they have to put something that hypes it. And and as much as I absolutely detest it, and I 100 percent agree with Craig, I think that's where we have always started. You detest the fact or you detest that you agree with Craig? Uh, both of those <laughs> both of those things are true. Now, I think I think this is where something we started many years ago in a prior, you know, prior engagements, prior lives and prior blogs. We, we started putting IOCs and how to how to defend yourself against things years, 10, 15 years ago in blogs. And I, and I, th I would love to say that we kind of tried to pioneer this, but uh, I, I don't think we're going to get credit for it. Well, and I think, you know, we do have this huge unfair advantage where we sell a ton of devices, right? And so it makes sense for us that, hey, you know what? I don't care if you don't have your IPS. We're going to put the rules out in the Snort format, and it doesn't matter if you own any of those other junk vendors. You can still import the Snort rules and protect yourselves. Uh, we can get away with that because of our footprint, right? And, and I get it. Like the little small niche players, you know, the, the fire, whatever the hell's, um, it's more difficult for them. I mean, you know, like look at their stock, right? Like they have to find a way to make themselves relevant. But at the same time, you know, customers need to realize if they're not putting those IOCs in those write-ups, they're actually not acting in my best interest. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. They're not actually. I mean, if there's no coverage that you can see and verify for what you need to protect yourself from, then, you know, who knows? It could be absolute snake oil and you would never know. Well, I think we saw that earlier, right? With the, the whole pew pew map fiasco and the, uh, oh, the giant implosion. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, uh, Joel. Sir, I have a massive cold today, or allergies, as Nigel points out. Uh, I'm a little upset um, at the, I think the overreaction, I don't know if I really want to segue into topic number one here, but I'm, I'm a little upset at the overreaction at the FCC thing. Um. So uh, I think we could talk about that when we get to when I get to our actual uh, diagram. Wait, you're you're upset about the overreaction? 
I'm upset about people overreacting in general. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I mean, I, I get it, right? Like, no. I mean, if people are reacting, at least they give a damn. Yeah, you're 100% true, but it's... it's... Well, I don't know. Hold on, hold on. Let's go to Nigel first, and then we'll, then we'll start arguing about this. Okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, this week I'm, uh, you know, I've just saved the world probably five or six times. Uh, the Slow uh, week. The world was actually burning down this morning, but I think I just saved it right before this podcast started. We all know you're ordering lunch, Nigel. I, yeah. uh, you know, we heard you. You can call me Iron Man, just saying. <laughs> Tony Stark, hi, the one. It's all good. Today, the superhero is you, Nigel. That's right. So, uh, Joel, you were you, you were, let's just jump right back into this FCC thing. I know we're all itching to talk about it. So go back ahead. You're, you're upset that these people that people are overreacting. No, I mean, I follow politics fairly closely. Right. So um, uh, and, and I have a lot kind of vested in, in politics in general. But it's when I look at stuff like this, it really points out to me how the general populace just doesn't pay attention to to politics in general. Let, let's point out the fact that you're not actually full of it. You were mayor of a town. You've actually <laughs> done this like for real, not just like in a little video game on the Internet. I didn't play SimCity for for nothing when I was a kid. <laughs> um, no, it's just that, you know, people obviously are not paying attention. And Craig, maybe you can kind of describe what you were talking about earlier before we started recording about about this particular example. But it's just, it really illustrates to me how how much people are not paying attention to the rulings and, and, the, and, the, and the government and politics in general and how things are moving forward or backwards. Um, or, or really how the media can sh- really twist and shape uh, every word that comes out of anybody's mouth. <laughs> so I want to be very clear here. I, I believe strongly in, you know, internet privacy, uh, personal privacy. Agreed. And I think selling one's internet traffic is wrong, right? Agreed. That's ethically and morally corrupt. However, I think what a lot of people didn't realize is while the media was printing that we've repealed these internet privacy laws, the reality was they hadn't even gone into effect. Exactly. So the net push of the situation is nothing really changed except... You know, these laws that were going to protect us now no longer exist. So and what's interesting uh, I've seen is it, you're exactly right. Is So, you mean, you can you can try and opt out or, or find an ISP uh, if you have the choice between ISPs, which not many people have uh, a, a choice of more than maybe two. Uh, you know, you can find an ISP that might find value in saying, hey, we're not going to sell your data. But how many of them are going to actually do that with the rules not changing? But now everybody is up in arms. Uh, and what's been interesting to see is how this has led to a rash of attacks from fake VPN services or scam VPN services. So people, we you know, apparently were familiar with the proposal, but didn't know that it wasn't the rules yet, or they should have already been protecting themselves. But at least they care now that like, hey, this is in the headlines and this is something I should care about. This is the silver lining of the current political climate is that people are starting to pay attention and care. And I don't think if you think back, uh, you know, eight, 10, 12, 16 years ago, people generally didn't pay attention to politics. And I think people are paying much more closer attention to politics, whether it be true or false. They're paying attention now. Let's stop for a second and let's put this in context, right? Because I see a lot of horribly confused discussions on the Internet, on Reddit and other sites where people don't understand the difference between like SSL and a VPN. Um, Now, first off. Let's start with SSL, right? Uh, SSL would hide your web content, not the websites that you're going to. So if you go to a website and maybe look at super embarrassing material, they won't necessarily know what material you're looking at, but they will know you frequent that site. 
Um, this is a common misunderstanding. I, I believe it was the Opera browser I saw called out on Reddit multiple times saying, hey, they have a VPN button. But the reality is all that did was run everything over a local SSL proxy. Uh, so it is still revealing all your sites when you do DNS lookups. See, what actually happens under the SSL negotiation is that you actually do the get request first in, in, in plain text, right? I want to get this. And then you have the encryption part, which means that you don't see the data between the two places, but you still see what the actual request was for. What the uh, ISP, ISPs are going to be able to do specifically is that because there are so many people using the internet who have absolutely no clue and don't even care, um, is that, that their browsing habits they'll, and their uh, you know, email habits, for example, and whatever they're doing online... The ISP, because the ISP usually supplies the DNS server for all of their customers, will be able to now not only see what the customers are doing and going to, right, where they would use that data internally to make changes to their internal network and how they have things set up, but they will be able to take that data and sell that data to other people, right? Now, who's going to be able to, who's going to buy it and, and you know, kind of how much is it going to cost them and what are they going to use it for? You know, I, I don't know. There's many different scenarios. But the there's one thing that you can do, and I think that this is something, by the way, that, that is not going to affect people who already care about their online privacy because they're already taking steps to do what they need to do to be private and properly, you know, probably anonymous online, if you like. Um, and, and usually I think those are actual people who are actually shouting in, about this because they know it also affects many of the people who either don't care or don't know or, you know, whatever. But one of the things you can do is to use a service like OpenDNS, for example. Change your DNS servers to not use your ISP's DNS servers, but to use OpenDNS, their name servers, because your data is not getting sold by OpenDNS. They're not your ISP, right? So, But you can use their, their name service. You could you know, also... You, you touched on a great point. Let me just highlight it real quick. Um, so Nigel's point was that by using a different DNS server, you basically move that data somewhere else. So in other words, instead of your ISP having all that data, now you have half of it at the ISP and half of it at uh, the other provider. What's important to remember here is that with a VPN, with a new DNS server or whatever... You're just trusting that other party. So it's very important that you trust that party, that you can vet that party, that it's either uh, you know, a trustworthy corporation or it's a country that has specific laws in place to guarantee your privacy. Uh, it's very important that you validate that and don't just pick the cheapest one on the Internet because rest assured, bad guys are going to swoop in at these opportunities to try and set up fake VPN services. And, and also, um, if you're also concerned about your requests, still traversing your ISP's network in, in plain text, you can also use something called DNS crypt and the, the open DNS servers will work with DNS crypt as well. So you're now you're, you're, you're using a third party DNS server and you're encrypting traffic between you and your DNS uh, provider as well so that your ISP can't see any of that traffic. Okay. You could also use things like Tor and um, a, a VPN service, you know, a free VPN service or even a paid one or even set up your own VPN somewhere, right, to, to VPN, you know, move your traffic around, encrypt it, like in transit. Um, there's many, many things you can do, uh, and some people go to great lengths to make themselves really anonymous, as anonymous as possible as they can online. And others, you know, kind of do the simple thing, like I use OpenDNS at home, 
Um, and I, 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 before that, I used Google's DNS, uh, but I've never used my ISP's DNS at all, right? And let's not forget to plug our other friends over at Level 3 Communications. Uh, Mike Benjamin's team runs a very fine DNS service. Yes, they do. I've used their services too, yes. Um, and I've also used used DNS Crypt when I was concerned about, you know, maybe traversing things from home, and, and you know, I've enabled that as well, so... So let's look at, you know, what can somebody who's, who's listening, what would be their best bet? Oh, okay. Let's, let's start at the beginning though. Like if we want to have actual complete operational security, uh, just unplug the box, put it in the trunk of your car uh, and just forget about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's, that's a guaranteed way of being, well, fairly guaranteed until somebody steals your car. Yeah. Well, let's be realistic here. Who, who would steal a car? I uh, yeah, Nobody. Never heard of it. <laughs> Never heard of it happening. But yeah, there's things that they can do, right? So, and, and depending on your level of comfort with what you can do or what you're comfortable doing, I would certainly start with OpenDNS and because they have some very good tutorials on how to use their services. Well, and they have really easy setup instructions if you're not familiar with how to do that. If you just Google use OpenDNS servers, you'll they'll take you right to a web page that has for your operating system, services. whatever you're using. And you can do it at home if you have your own, if you're running your own home Wi-Fi network, you can use, you know, their DNS services all through your home. One of the other things that I do is I don't use the uh, the router supplied by my ISP either. I run my own internal stuff and make sure that the the uh, ISP router is basically just a gateway to the internet for me, um, which is, you know, a little more than a using. The, even if you're using your ISP's router, right, that you're paying for, you're paying a, a charge for that every month. Um, what you can do, or you should have a login to it, and you can make sure that you're using, you know, OpenDNS's uh, DNS servers in there too. And let's be perfectly clear. I don't want to sound like I'm trying to sell people on OpenDNS, but it also does provide some security by blocking sites known to host malware and annoying ads and things like that. So it actually it's a little bit more than just a DNS server. Yes, it absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it it does it does a lot of things. Yeah, there's other stuff too. You know, you can use like I said, you can use Google's you know DNS etc. And then if you want to use something like DNS Crypt, you can. That's also like the next step if you like, and you can easily use that too. There's a lot of instruction given about that. And one of the advantages that you will also get using DNS Crypt is your ability to log and view your own DNS requests that you actually make. If you want to go right down into the nitty gritty, right? Um, but I mean, that's that's kind of up to you. I, I don't go that far. But, yeah, you uh, can always combine that too. You can always have your VPN server uh, yeah. and then use Google DNS or yeah. OpenDNS or whatever you'd like. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so a lot of things on that ruling. You know, I think at the end of the day, we're right back where we started, right? Our data is not safe. Our, we're not private on the internet, despite the fact that everyone seems to think that. Uh, and so it's up to users to secure their privacy, right. right? If you care about having your information protected. Also, one of the one of the other things you can do, of course, is is when you're just browsing the web, or if you're using your own he- email, make sure you're using TLS or you know SSL at the very least to kind of encrypt your data communications part of this. So it's not just you know your DNS part, because anything that traverses your ISP's network, they they are able to view that, right? So they could. You know, take some of that data, kind of look at that, look for certain things to see if people, what they're using, what they're, what's coming across their networks if they wanted to, right? I'm not saying it's easy and, you know, it's, it's, it isn't, but it, they're certainly capable of doing well, it. So there's one, there's one more thing aside from the tech recommendations that kind of brings it back to where I started, which is 
I'm encouraged by the fact that people are active and they're paying attention. And it's great that that's happening. And I encourage people to also do that. You know, I, I think I don't want to beat a dead horse too much. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is very important that people pay attention to these things. Because if you don't, advertisers are going to keep getting more and more aggressive. So I think one of the things that I'd like to touch on, since we brought up politics a little bit, is one of the most recent Trojans we've seen. Uh, it's very similar to one of the Maldoc loaders we observed a few weeks back. But this time we have the entire payload, including... Uh, you know, the APT component. Uh, we named it Rock Rat because it seems to be very, very focused on targeting, we believe, members of the South Korean government involved in uh, the reunification of North Korea. And in one example, someone looking for someone from North Korea. Uh, and these are all up on our blog. You know, it's it's up to anyone's guess who could be behind this. Um, I'm reasonably certain it's not Northern Canada, but you know, <laughs> only time will tell, I suppose. Um, but what was interesting about this is that, you know, of course, you used Hangul, right? Hangul is a very popular word processor in uh, Korea, South Korea specifically. Uh, and it used, um, I believe it was an EPS file loader, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. So basically a weaponized Hangul file, you know, just like all the Word doc macros we see, similar to that. Uh, and upon loading it, it would start doing all kinds of cool stuff, spying on the user and installing effectively a rat. Were there keyloggers involved and all that good stuff? And, and the, the link to that blog is in the show notes if you want to check that out and read it for yourself. Well, I mean, there was, and it, it even had some really unique features where it would look for strings for certain security tools or for things that you might find in a sandbox or if a, a malware analyst was looking at it. And what I thought was really funny was they dropped characters off each side of the tool name so that I guess if you ran strings on the binary, it wouldn't jump out at you. Um, but yeah, presumably there were some that were false positive prone, so they left the whole thing there. So like Pyad was there, but like a Fiddler had the, some bunch of the letters cut off. And one of the things that I thought was most uh, interesting about Rockrat is the links it went to to avoid detection. Uh, you know, not only was it pulling its payload from uh, news sites, which presumably either had someone plant the file there or they themselves were compromised in order to plant the file there. Uh, but then it would uh, basically try to emulate a user by watching things like videos from, uh, I think it was Hulu and Amazon. Uh, nothing's actually happening, mind you, but it's just sending requests out to look legitimate, which I, I thought was fascinating. I don't think we've seen something quite that intricate from just a faking out the scanner perspective. In the, in the campaign uh, leading up to infection, they, they spoofed emails from a university that was the appropriate university that had hosted a, a, a lyceum or a conference of some sort on, on Korean unification and was involved in that effort. So, I mean, they, they went to great lengths from step one all the way through the infection chain to persistence and staying on there and you know not being detected. They really did their homework. Yeah, and just to, just to add on to that, if we look back at the prior example, which we're reasonably confident is associated with this uh, same attacker or group of attackers— they actually had the proper formatting for um, internal government documents from South Korea that the general public wouldn't have the ability to look at or have access to. So it goes to show you that not only did they go to great lengths forming the emails and you know spoofing the emails and whatnot, but they actually understood the target quite a bit. And so I think you know when it comes down to this, this has to be an adversary that studied the South Korean government, particularly the pieces that are involved in North Korea. Uh, quite carefully. Let's be very clear. This is a super cool piece of malware. This is a super cool use of 
lots of different little pieces. Uh, it's also extremely, extremely targeted. Yeah, this isn't one of those, oh, God, everybody worry about it. Uh, this is probably a concern for maybe like a dozen or two dozen people in the South Korean government who are probably like in a bunker or something. Um, <laughs> just to be completely obvious. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was its C2 infrastructure, because I thought that was uh, equally fascinating. And again, this is playing along with their don't detect me theme, which, you know, haha, we did. Um, you know, this is, again, one of those times where it's really fun to be in Talos because the amount of money uh, spent putting this together or the kit that built this uh, is probably quite substantial. You know, I, I would guess we're talking hundreds, if not thousands of man hours went into this. Uh, and when we reveal all these pieces and how they all work, we effectively render that pointless and cost this actor a lot of money. Uh, and, you know, that's always fun. It gives you a nice, good, warm fuzzy. Um, that's what we mean by forcing, forcing bad guys to innovate. <laughs> I had to explain to a customer why there was a bottle opener on my desk yesterday. Um, and it was like, is that a bottle opener in the, t in the TP room, right? And I pick up the bottle opener and it says, does this say pissing off the bad guys in the back? <laughs> Good laugh. What a great tagline. <laughs> I know, man. If only we'd thought of that. Oh, wait. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but again, back to, the, uh, back to the sneakiness. So they were tunneling their C2 over... Uh, Twitter, Yandex, and Mediafire, which is fascinating. So, of course, uh, we reached out to Twitter, and uh, they'd already shut down those API keys. Uh, but, you know, we did talk to them and let them know that this is being used for very bad things. Here's the write-up. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's fun working with those in the industry to help stop these guys. And hopefully Twitter was able to take that information uh, and find any additional C2s to block. Well, here's the, I think there's a, there's a thing, though, that uh, reminds me of another story that was, was out this week. Uh, which was concerning um, someone who'd written a tool and was now uh, being um, prosecuted, I guess, because somebody had used that tool in some malware. Except that you're kind of opening the door to some very questionable things now. So VBox, right, VirtualBox, is something that is a legitimate tool that, you know, you can use and, you you know, you log into the thing, make yourself your, your own uh, VMs, if you like, virtual machines and stuff, and you, you get the idea. You can use that. But when it gets included into a piece of malware, is it, should you then be able to go after the manufacturers or the, the, the software engineers who wrote VBox to prosecute them because now what they've done is in, is it's now included in some malware that it shouldn't be. Is this, is this a gun debate or a cyber debate? No, no, no. no. <laughs> yes, but the one in the news right now, uh, basically being primarily sold on a hacker forum, it operated exclusively to install rat-like components. Uh, now, the author did remove licenses from people uh, by remotely shutting them down, which, again, is kind of questionable and sketchy, uh, when he observed them bragging about using it for hacking activity. So, you know... Normally, I would err on the side of, you know, if you wrote software that can arguably be used for useful activities, okay, sure. But when that software is almost exclusively being sold in the underground where you know it's being used for malicious purposes, that gets you in a much more sticky situation. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a, a crucial thing, and that's what's going to be extremely hard for lawyers to prove, right? And, and I don't—this is another area in law where I think there's— there are very, very few lawyers who actually have the technical expertise to make that case, right? This is where you end up in the danger of all things. For example, Netcat, right? One of the most useful tools ever on the internet 
ever or men, right? For for anybody who's even remotely technical. But if I included Netcat in something, a piece of malware, and I use Netcat's, you know, abilities for me to open up a reverse shell, for example, things like that. Doesn't mean, I mean, Netcat was never designed or primarily used for anything. Uh, well, let's let's mal- use a more pointed right. example, right? Like, let, let's look at the Metasploit framework, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, yeah. for years, the Metasploit framework was used by companies like ours to test their IPS product. Yeah. Um, it was never designed for criminal use. But, of right. course, because the components there were easily adaptable, mm-hmm. criminals used it. Now, right. was that Metasploit's fault? I, I would argue no. They didn't design it to be used for that. You know, you can't prevent someone from picking up a stick and sharpening it and hitting somebody else with it. Right. Or using, or using a car as a getaway car in a robbery, right? It, you know? You know? Yeah. And I think there's, there's two questions here. There's capability and in forums. So, I mean, that, that's probably what raises the question here more than the capabilities of the software itself. Possibly. But, you know, again... None of us are lawyers. We're not experts in law, but at the same time, the lawyers in this case are not technical experts either. Uh, how do you find a judge and a jury that can understand? That's you know, I mean, that's even another question, right? Because your lawyer's job is to take those technical arguments and present them in a way that makes sense to a judge and jury, and that, and at the same time, make sure that that it's represented correctly. I mean, that's, you know, anything that involves deeper technological understanding, I'm sure it faces the exact same difficulty. I mean, look at the, the digital copyright acts, I mean, and, right. and how that all has played out. I mean, these are very, these are new questions. Yeah. Subject, you know, you're not wrong, right? One of the f- people I got hired with back at Cisco, man, 12 years ago, uh, Jason was a software developer. He turned into security guy and worked on the IPS legacy product with me. Uh, and then about... Four or five years ago, he decided he wanted to be involved in the law because of these problems. And so he went to the University of Texas Law School and graduated last year with his degree and passed the bar and all that. So we are actually seeing people move from the security industry into the legal. I mean, because there are so many challenges. He's not slowing. You know, the the law, in a way, is made to move slow intentionally, at least in the United States. The way our, our laws are set up, they're not made to be very fluid and change quickly. And they're kind of designed that way. Um, technology is conversely designed to move incredibly fast and change constantly. And, you know, I think that'll continue to be a problem, even as we see that move take place. You're talking about, Craig, if that were to even happen in mass. I see. Oh, no, no, no. Let's be clear. Let's, no, it's not going to happen in mass. Right. I think the problem is that is such a niche market that anyone trying to get there. I mean, that has to be like a deeply personal drive. I mean, by the time most people become proficient in the security industry, they've already done their four years of college. They've already done their like probably eight to 10 years of, at home playing around, hacking things. Uh, having someone drop that, change paths completely, I think that's going to be very rare, right? That's going to take someone who woke up one day and just decided like, look, this is wrong and I have to fix it. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was some of the great work out of our Voldev team. You know, I, I don't know how many people who are listening to this follow along, but probably one of the most prolific vulnerability discovery groups that keep up. And again, you know, they just recently finally disclosed a really interesting bug affecting, I think it's all Apple products, Mac OS X, uh, yeah, Mac OS and iOS. Uh, Basically how it worked was if you were able to present a certificate to the client and you can malform the certificate in just the right way, you can basically execute code on the end device, meaning uh, iPhone, iPad, laptop, anything you well, want. Let's be clear. Let's be clear what type of certificate we're talking about. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a use after free vulnerability in an X509 certificate. And so if you can present that to the client, you basically can execute code on the end device. Um, this is a particularly concerning bug just due to the widespread nature of it. Uh, we go into details in the blog post on different ways that you could do that to the client that are fairly sneaky. And so it's one that people need to patch right away. Across all their devices, their MacBooks, their iPhones, all of them. Did that have anything on watchOS? I don't think it was in watchOS, no, but it was definitely in iOS. I think it was. I'm not sure if it was in tvOS. Don't remember. Uh, no, it's not. We didn't test it. Aha. Yeah, and the other, the other important thing to realize with this vulnerability was that because it was in Apple's core X509 library, anything that could reach that library could be a vector. So this isn't just a website bug. This isn't just an email bug. This is any possible path to having that certificate handled. So it's well. So uh, well, your X five hundred nine is is basically the uh, standard, right? Tag in Nigel. Go Nigel. So, go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just it's just the standard for for uh, public certificates, right? So it can be anything from TLS and SSL, um, you know, which you obviously use in HTTPS things, and you can also use it for um, uh, making your own certificate, for example, to verify your own identity using email, right? It's just a if you say an X509, it means that it's gonna it's going to have these things in it, right? It's kind of like this is how it shall look in this particular format, and then one of those things is what you're going to use it for, and so on. And that's basically what your X509 stuff is. So it's used. It's pretty much ubiquitous, right? So it's used everywhere, absolutely everywhere, right? Uh, there's so in other words, be super concerned about. I yes, mean, absolutely. Things. This is one of those things that because it's used everywhere, it doesn't all, all uh, only affect your uh, Mac, for example. It also affects your applications that run on iOS, right? So that, that means your phone, your iPad, right? All those things are affected. Mm-hmm. Patch all the things. Yes, all, all of the things. things. So the last thing I wanted to talk about today was a, a little bit more of a, a physical attack. Uh, thanks to our buddies at Porcullis that we just put out on the blog yesterday i think uh, there's a great white paper on this if you want to go read it uh, and basically you know the portcullis folks were asking themselves hey you know what we look a lot at our network infrastructure we worry a lot about vulnerabilities in our software you know what about devices that seem to be solid state right like what about like my kvm how secure is that uh, and so basically the gist of the story is not as secure as we'd like Um, And so what happens, uh, basically, we were able to take apart a KVM. We were able to make a hardware module that would allow you to effectively turn the KVM into a backdoor. So you could interface with the the virtual machine. You could exfiltrate and infiltrate data. Um, So it's, you know, once again, you need to be worried about everything in your environment. This seems like this would be a good, uh, good little plot bit from a spy movie. (laughs) <laughs> infecting the kvm I just, I just had this i had this vision of robert redford running in and like picking up the kvm putting down a new one and plugging everything back in and running back out <laughs> sneaker no style secrets. yeah right <clears throat> some thomas crown affair stuff going on with that yeah i mean it's things like that though that you know it's just another device that probably hasn't been properly audited and then sure enough if you give it a hard enough look you can find security issues with it I think that uh, that's that's definitely a, a great proof of concept. I think it's definitely a great blog post and a great. But uh, you know, it's I think that's 
goes for anything. You gotta security doesn't just stop at uh, you know patching your devices and 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 changing your password every other every six months. Like there's everything you need to be concerned about, and I think that's that's something that we were very concerned about when I worked for uh, for the United States government. We were very concerned about things like that. We were very concerned about the construction of our buildings, for example, um, just because you know it's. You know, Security doesn't stop at uh, making sure your antivirus is up to date. Right. Unless unless you're a video game company, in which case, just don't worry about security. I am not going to play to get as much money as I need. So just leave that. <laughs> just leave it there, you know, in memory so I can go find it and just change it to Fs, please. <laughs> I remember doing that to SimCity way back in the day. <laughs> What do you mean if I just change this one line to all Fs? I have $6 billion. I don't have to charge any of my residence taxes. God, well, then, I'm good at this. Then the year rolls over, though, and you end up with like negative $2 billion. And that's how Joel ended up the mayor of an actual American mm-hmm. city. <laughs> but you know what? What I, did with it, what I did in real life, actually, I did in SimCity, too, is you have more money coming in than you had coming out. Therefore, <laughs> there you go. If only government worked that way. It does <laughs> work that way. People don't want it to work that way. Right. Are we talking about fiscal responsibility? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm talking about fiscal responsibility. Everybody knows you just get a new credit card, and when it stops working, you just go get another one. I mean, come on. This is America. That's how it works. I think I just threw up a little in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, I think we should probably just wrap it up on that note. Uh, thanks for joining us this week, everybody. We hope you join us again next time on Beers with Talos. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or alternatively at talosintelligence.com slash podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for stopping by.